welcome to the first Stadio podcast mailbag. Oh my goodness, Ryan did the intro. I did the intro, that's how we're switching it up. Oh my god, so classy. I'm Ryan Hun. this is Musok Wonga. That's me. Because we have so many good questions, we decided to do it as a separate mailbag. Thanks for everyone who sent questions in. You can do so by tweeting us at Stadio or hitting us up through the website, stadio.football. So let's start with Cheeky Ball Boys, at Cheeky Ball Boys. That's Bob. Bob Penner. There's a couple of Man United ones, so we'll do the Man United ones first. Okay, Bob says, has the number of departures at United all but guaranteed Oli Gunnar Solskjaer a full season? Do you want to do that first? Yeah, I think it has guaranteed him a full season. He will get a full season because he's done exactly what he said he would do. And he's been given pretty much what the club so they give him. His signings have been really impressive, in particular Daniel James and Juan Bissaka, a right back. Sorted out two big problems for us. We've got more speed and attack. We always had speed, but now we've got the directness, the thrust from the wide position. We've looked as good from the wing in many ways as we have for a couple of years. Juan Bissaka has really shored up the right back position. I really like Aaron Juan Bissaka. Yeah, I, I love him. And I would say only that... Mm, should have signed more players, should have signed yeah. a player in defence midfield, attack midfield to knit things together. Pogba has been isolated there. That's another story. We've got a question on Pogba that we'll come to in a bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but there's no reason why, I, I, I wouldn't see why Solskjaer would go this season. I think they'll have a very tough season. I think they'll come between, between possibly 8th and 10th United. Really? But that, yeah, but that wouldn't be a surprise given what they're putting out there. I see a lot of similarities between the United situation and the Chelsea situation, actually. You know, mm. a lot of, younger players coming through right? and maybe a switch in identity, if you like, or tact a little bit. They've kind of, I think they've been, United have been burnt a lot over the last few years by some of the higher profile signings they've made, you know, like Mkhitaryan, obviously like the Sanchez swap deal. Fred's situation is a weird one. Obviously, Zlatan's two seasons, season and a half was positive or were positive, sorry, but very short term. Yeah, absolutely. And the same has been happening with Chelsea. And now it kind of seems that there's a little bit more of a longer term thinking, obviously with Harry Maguire coming in as well. They've kind of done that thing where they've switched back to United's kind of British core, if you want of a better term. Right, right. And actually it kind of leads us on to the second part of Bob's question, which is another part of their British core. Is Marcus Rashford a catfish, he says. Oh my goodness, he went there. Oh wow, Bob. Um, No, he's not. Young players. They hit kind of these rookie walls that you see in the NBA, right. for example, and they have spikes in kind of form and then they level off a little bit and sometimes a dip in form. And I think that there's been a lot of responsibility placed on Rashford for someone so young. I mean, taking a number 10 shirt at Manchester United last season was very brave. But I kind of like that move from yeah. him. You know, he's like, no, you know, he's a Man United boy and he really kind of wants to be that figurehead up front. Obviously, the departure of Lukaku means that a lot has shifted in the way that United play in that final third. And it's going to take time. I think it's actually better. Of... I think United without Lukaku in that front three is actually better. It's way more dynamic. I think so. And actually the goals will come. The goals will come. Like it's only three games in. Yeah. 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 Um, another one on Manchester United from Fabian Goa at Fabian Goa on Twitter. Is it cruel to have Paul Pogba sit deep in midfield with McTominay and Pereira? when he could be balling with the best of the world. I like Scott and Andreas. Hope they grow into top players. Think it would be a disaster to lose Pogba brackets in January, but it's sad to see talent unfulfilled. Short answer. 
Yes, it is. It is because Paul Pogba. I mean, he. We know. We know who and what Pogba is. And also, there's a similar question from Charith Moonsingi on Twitter: Is there anyone in United's current squad capable of playing with McTominay at the base of midfield so that Pogba can finally play where he is needed in the final third? If not, who could we get in January realistically? So there's a couple of couple of things there. Uh, all the I mean, players. I mean, all, going yeah, back so, to yeah. going back to like Paul Pogba when he was at Juventus, when he was playing probably the best football he's played in his career so far. He was played in a very specific position that it was really built to suit his skill set. And I don't think they've ever done that for him at Manchester United. Never. And it's, I don't want to pull up the Meza Ozil thing, but I think it's a similar thing that happened with Meza Ozil is that these players, you have to free them from certain responsibilities in a way in order to maximise the things that they give you. And if you don't do that, the players get criticised for it a lot of the time, but actually, it's kind of not their fault. The amount of ground Pogba was having to cover. Look, if, if Pogba were playing at Manchester City, we know what he'd be doing. He'd be playing as one of two eights yep. ahead of a defence midfielder. There'd be a very high ball circulation and he'd be destroying teams. And we saw very briefly what the damage Pogba could do when he played, like keep referencing this game, Euro 2016, when France beat Iceland 5-2 and the speed that Pogba moved the ball in the right midfield for him, it was devastating. And you can't touch him in that. But the problem is, week in, week out, he is playing in a substandard team, in a substandard configuration. The players around him are not good enough for him to be the very best player he can be. And he doesn't come out and complain about it. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. For all the talk of Pogba being a diva, you don't hear him coming out and going, well, really, he just got on with it. I mean, there was obviously that little yeah. period towards the end of Mourinho's reign, but I think... But he had to say something. There's players, had to there's say players something. everywhere Mourinho has gone. Mourinho was happened. going... Listen, Mourinho was going at him and the history of players that don't come back against Mourinho, they get done. Mm-hmm. And the reason why Ramos didn't get done is because Ramos came back at Mourinho in a way that Casillas didn't or whatever. So Mourinho will go to war with you and will get the better of you. And Pogba went to war with Mourinho and there was that famous quote, like, they don't F with me, they F with the wrong person. Pogba was right. Yeah. He was right. Like, that's the thing. We don't talk about that enough. Oh, Pogba's a diva, but Pogba survived it. Yeah, sure. Pogba survived it. And we don't give him enough credit for backing. How many, man, how many players got the better of Mourinho? Very few. We yeah. don't talk about that enough. So, yeah, look, Pogba, Pogba leaves in January. Frankly, and I mean this with my chest, I say it with my chest, good luck to him. Genuinely, I want that guy to go and be happy because, frankly, he deserves the greatest possible platform for his talents, and that is not currently United. I think it'll be hard to move him in January, I personally. Agree. I agree. But, um, I mean, in terms of solving that Manchester United midfield problem, though, there were times last season when that Fred and Pogba partnership showed glimpses of being pretty decent. For sure it did. And, I mean, could Fred play as the deepest? No. No? It needs to be McTominay, Fred and Pogba, the two eights. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, McTominay yeah. to sit and Pogba and Fred as the two eights and let Pogba play, maybe, maybe invert them so Pogba plays um, the left and, yeah. and uh, Fred is the right. Have the fullbacks push high, okay, and then let them come close together, the three. And your front three, you know, Rashford, Martial and James. And why is Fred not playing? I mean, goodness knows what's happening in training. But having said that, I do trust Solskjaer in this because Solskjaer has consistently started the best available yeah I would say this as well that the Lingard Lingard's place in squad I mean could Lingard play as one of those eights no yeah he's one of the front three I don't think Lingard's an eight so you'd have to yeah but these are kind of eight slash tens aren't they really honest with you brutally honest I don't think Lingard's the guy 
I think that Lingard, I think we've seen his peak. I don't think that we've seen, you know how when like certain players sign for teams, you're like, okay, well, the great thing is I can see the advancement. But certain players, you can't see how much better they'll get. Like Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley at one point had a ceiling that was nowhere in sight. Ross Barkley's ceiling is now very apparent. Lingard's ceiling is now apparent. In the same way that Theo Walcott's ceiling is apparent. And that's what concerns me about him. I just don't see where the extra 20% comes from in his game. I mean, Jesse Lingard is approaching that period where he's no longer a prospect, you know, and he's just yeah, he's a, here. an experienced player. Yeah, He's 27 this year. Right, exactly. I mean, he's 26 until then because that's how it worked. <laughs> you, you referenced the, an internet an internet <laughs> meme there yeah, I'm, I'm, football twitter meme I know my meme you're down with the kids I know what a <laughs> meme is but it's, it's the Theo Walcott thing they're young players and then all of a sudden they're 30 right and it's bizarre how that happens but it's Jack Wilshire we, we were whatsapping the other day when I sent you a thing just saying oh just so you know just out of nowhere Jack Wilshire's 27 no he's not he's 27 I don't care who I don't care what Wikipedia I'm going to put my tin. My, I've just put on listeners. I've put on my sort of, Tinder hat. Put my tin hat. <laughs> Tinder hat. Oh my god! There's a deep well. We can't go down. <laughs> Such a blokey comment. No, look. I put my tin hat about this. I refuse to believe Jack Wilshere is 27. Is it like you never see a baby pigeon? True. Exact. Right. 27. Yeah. So I oh, mean, poor Jack. Jesse Lingard is in in danger of being one of those people who actually just doesn't f- quite fulfil that level. Let's. Go for another question. Sana Qureshi on Everton, her beloved Everton. Can Everton thrive by just outscoring teams or will they need Lucas Digne to learn how to defend a bit? Ha ha ha. That is such a leading question. Arsenal 2.0. They, um, they, okay, let me get, let me ask this properly. They can survive by outscoring teams, but they can't thrive. So they have to shore up the defence. As we actually, we, we referred on the podcast before to Liverpool coming second uh, under Brendan Rodgers, conceding 50 and scoring 101. And you have to shore up the defence. You just have to. I mean, we look at, I mean, I'm, he's not the most popular person um, in many quarters, but Jose Mourinho, that thing of having one fullback who sits and the one that pushes forward. That was interesting, that. Something to think about. Yeah, it is something to think about. I mean, Mourinho talked about it, um, recent punditry about building from the back. You play with the back four, but you build with three and have one fullback really flying forward almost as an auxiliary winger. And Lucas Dean has the quality to do that. He certainly has a quality. I so, mean, he is more of a winger, I think, but he is a but defender. Has, but has the quality to... I mean, these, but these, so, many, so many left backs and right backs. They have the now. discipline. I mean, Marcelo is a good example of someone who has the discipline to defend if he has to. Dani Alves too. They can defend if they have to. But there's a wider role. And the beauty of having Lucas Dean better as a defender is you would increase the unpredictability of which fullback will come when. That's the beauty of that, the fullback system. If you know that everyone's going to bomb, you know where the gaps are going to appear. But if you don't know that someone's going to sit, I mean, this is Chelsea a few years ago. When Chelsea targeted um, Barcelona, they, they targeted the space on Dani Alves, the season that Chelsea won the Champions League. They, they, and they, they, they worked on transition. So if people know which fullback's coming at you, you become more predictable. So if he develops the defensive side of his game, it becomes unpredictable and that benefits all the attackers ahead of him. So yeah, short answer is, if he steps up his game, so to Everton. Great question. Yep. From one left back to a right back, mm. from Abdullahi Haleki, I'd like you to speak about Kieran Trippier. So far, he has slotted in pretty well. Mm. What do you expect from Lamar this season? Kind of touched on Thomas Lamar on Monday's podcast. Trippier has been terrific for terrific, terrific, like Jamie Redknapp. Terrific, just terrific, terrific. Terrific, Trippier. 
He's been great. Trippier or Trippier, we always can I say straddle what, those two. What an promises. awesome move! I love that move. You play the Champions League final in the Wanda. You know, you know what? I like this. I want to hang around. I love it so much. Good food here. Spurs to Madrid. It's the one. He probably didn't even leave town. He probably <laughs> he probably just. <laughs> hey hey hey, Kieran! Kieran's not on the flight back. Like, where, where's Kieran? And just sort of see him waving, <laughs> sorting a flat out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looking for the Airbnb, doing his Spanish bureaucracy citizenship test. No, I think that's such a great move, Trippier, and. What I love about this is he suits the Atleti system so well. When you see Simeone on the side giving instructions, you see that he's just learning so fast. They love his delivery from deep. He crosses the ball so well and he allows the wingers to come inside. Lamar playing the kind of inverted winger sometimes. Lamar still, still truly um, due to fire, but they're encouraging signs against Abar. Mm-hmm. A couple of his passes were really incisive. The kind of pre-assist passes when you play the winger into yeah. space. He looked good at that and he played the fullback in pretty nicely. So I think that he's going to be a great asset. He's, uh, he's one for the uh, yeah. Dawson's theory. Nobody, yeah, yeah, exactly. Dawson's law. The Dawson's law theory that I had, which is basically that <laughs> the most important player in a move is not actually the person that finishes it, but the person that initiates it. Yeah. I think La Liga suits his skill set really well as well, Kevin Trippier. I agree. I think he, I think a good time in his career to move there, I think. Yeah, absolutely right. We had a lot about the North London derby. Okay. So should we run through a few? One, let's get One from at Soya Capo. Is the North London derby underrated slash underappreciated? Best derby around, in my opinion. We said that, actually, on the podcast. I don't think it's underappreciated, no. I think it's, I think it's, there's a lot, I think Jamie Redknapp just came out, he burst out with it on commentary on (laughs) on Sunday's game, just like, this is the best game in the Premier League. So good. It was like, oh, Jamie Redknapp's there, I forgot Jamie Redknapp's there. Hi, Jamie. Him and Mourinho sit comfortably far apart, don't they, on the punditry? Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. But yeah, I think, it, I think it is the Premier League's best fixture, I think, consistently. I'll say, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the North London derby has always been a huge game, no matter where Spurs were at compared to Arsenal. Even when Arsenal were winning the league unbeaten and Spurs weren't so strong, it was always a tough game. But just the quality now of the players, the management. The technical level is so high now. And obviously the stakes are higher because of Spurs' progression. Yeah. It really started, I think, maybe that was it a couple of those games that were 5 2. At a buy or bail era. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, at the beginning. Santi Cazorla. Yeah, oh, when Santi came in. Oh, my and, goodness. And, or maybe the one I think that probably kick started this run was the. Fabregas. You know it. Breaking from midfield. Yeah, for the oh, second goal goodness. before they'd cut back from the replay. Oh, my goodness. Since then, it's kind of been relentless. Do you know what I think is the key element with the North London derby? how foreign players who supposedly don't get English football oh, they get it. Get into it. Yeah. Like, and they really embody it. And Fabregas really, it's great that you mentioned that because he was someone that loved it. Fabregas loved it. But even Podolski, you know, in the, in the fans, like after winning at White Hart Lane. But, you know, players that have come in recently, very like from Spurs as well, seem to really get it. Right. I think players understand the importance of derbies and I don't think there's any, doesn't matter where you're from or where you, you know, if you're born in, Tottenham or born in Islington, I don't think it really matters. Um, I think players get it. You know, right. players really get it. But I think it's the key that they raise their level in it. Like, you know, Mkhitaryan is a good example of someone that really struggles in derbies in particular. A good example, Simon Barnes, the great sports writer, once said that sport doesn't build character, it reveals character. And I think derbies reveal character. And it's interesting who excels in them. Prime example, Matteo Guendouzi, one, yeah. one of my sons. Very proud dad this weekend. Well, Thierry Henry seemed to live, he was like the sort of the hammer of Thor in derbies. He yeah. really came in. You know, and there's that scene that you've, you've seen in Infinity War, the, the, scene when, yeah. the scene when Thor arrives in Wakanda, for yep. those who haven't seen it, it's one of the greatest scenes in blockbuster film. 
and Thierry Henry arriving in a derby was like Thor arriving in Wakanda for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, just clears the field. <laughs> oh, don't worry, guys. I've got this. Yeah, you got this. One day they're going to make a exactly. statue out of this. <laughs> when Captain America goes, oh, no, no, it's when, when the Hulk says, you guys are so screwed now. Yeah. I feel like when Henry ran at that defence, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. and everyone's backpedalling, Simon Davies and like Jamie Redknapp and and Ledley King. Yeah, but from a Spurs perspective, someone recently who I think has really seemed to get the derby and just comes alive is is Son. Yeah. Like yep. he really, really he gets it. it, you know. And yeah. um, I personally think it is the best derby in the Premier League. Absolutely. I think. Or best fixture in the Premier and League. And the chat around it is just <laughs> so funny. The kind of, it's good natured ribbing, but it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. had quite a few about Arsenal's midfield. Yeah. One from Ayo Daly, like, why does Emery rate Guendouzi over Torreira? Mm. I don't think he yeah. rates him over. I think they're very different midfielders. Yeah, I agree with and that. And I actually think that they complement each other quite well. Yeah. Um, we mentioned it on the podcast from Monday. I would like to see Torreira as like the, the, the deepest right. with Guendouzi and Ceballos or another, like someone like Willock. The question is more, why does... I think the question should... Sorry to rephrase the question. I feel like the issue is... Why does he prefer Torreira over Chaka? Well, we actually and had a question about that from right. Arajit. Does Chaka's drawbacks outweigh his strengths or is it the other way around? So, I mean, that kind of plays into that. Right. I think, I think the drawbacks at this point, unfortunately, are outweighing the strengths. But as you said, the historic issue is that Chaka has been someone they've traditionally relied on. And if there's a transition away from him, we need to, that takes time. Do you know what he reminds me of? He's, there was a point a few years ago when Arsenal looked like they were going to get Sami Kadira. Right. And a lot of people were crying out for a proper out-and-out screener or defensive midfielder. And I remember talking about this to some friends at the time and saying, actually, I don't think Arsenal really needs someone who can play that position for 60 games a season. They need someone who can play that for maybe eight games a season. Because Arsenal don't need that player in every single game. They don't need that player that is going to play that way against Spurs because Arsenal aren't going to play Spurs every week. They're not going to play Man City every week. They're not going to play Liverpool every week. Do you know what I mean? Jacka is perfect, I think, for games at home when you're going to be primarily camped in the opposition half. Because a yeah. lot of teams come to Arsenal like they do with any of those kind of big six, uh, top six teams and defend deep. And actually, when you have a lot of the ball and the circulation is constant, yeah. I think Jacka is... That's where he comes Christ. alive a yeah. little bit I think that but in a game like the North London derby which is so end to end and the kind of momentum shifts quite a lot I think that's where he gets shown up a little bit and there were times on the weekend when Arsenal's midfield just went missing because he's not the most athletic of players he's not the quickest he's not the busiest in terms of harrying and hustling I mean he made a lot of fouls and he took him forever to get booked Yeah, but I actually think that someone like Torreira and actually the amount of ground that Ceballos and Guendouzi cover, I think that's a nice midfield three for me in those I'm, kind of games. I, I don't know, I have to say, I, I think every team needs a player like Rodri. Everyone needs someone who can just cover that gap like a Busquets. The problem is they're so rare. That's the thing. Like we need to also consider the fact that it's very difficult to get a player who will screen and play on the front foot and be mobile. That's why... This is what, this is what I was saying about Torreira though, I think. I think he has the, all of those qualities. Yeah, I think he's that guy, absolutely. And I love that. I do think that you need a fixed point in defensive midfield. And I don't think that the answer is having two people to sit and are liberating a Ceballos. Not, not that you've suggested that, but I've seen some people suggest that 
too certain that's too many in the, in the modern game. I yeah. think you need to almost gamble a little bit more and you gamble by having one person to screen and having the, the two eights. So much of football is played in transition now. Yeah. That's complicated, that position. Yes. I think. Yes, absolutely. Well, look at Matic. Matic has basically become obsolete in the space of three years. I mean, Not I, just I, because I, he's become slower, because of the speed. Yeah, of I mean, and I, yeah. a lot of people reference Gilberto Silva in that scenario, and I love Gilberto Silva. But, I mean, do you think Gilberto Silva would be able to thrive as much as he did back then now? Yes. Do you know why? Because he was actually deceptively mobile. His goal yeah, against Olymp- Olympiacos. Olympiacos. A lot, of, the, a lot yeah. of those midfields he was played with a two with Vieira, but obviously there's system dependence. So. I think that Gilberto Silva was the absolute key. And I think he's a great example of someone that could thrive because he was deceptively mobile. He was quick. He covered the space. When others went forward, he really, I mean, he did so much invisible work. Mm. I, I love that guy. I, and actually, fun enough, I think if you had, oh my goodness, can you imagine Gilberto behind Grindosi and like Ceballos like or, I mean... Stop it, Musa. Oh, sorry. I just... Oh. This is a, can this I say, is a family-friendly what, what, podcast. What, sorry, it's a family <laughs> show. Can I say, look, that is a thirst trap. I mean, his highlight <laughs> film is a thirst trap. I want to name the one... I, want, I think I mentioned this from the podcast before, but there's one bit where... Because Gilberto never really showed his flash in certain games, right? And he goes down to... Because he, he was a great patron of sort of... He was a big philanthropist, actually. did a lot mm-hmm. of great social work. And he goes down to this homeless charity he does work with, and they're all kicking around. And I think a lot of the people there were like... Players who'd like... Freestyle footballers who were like has Gilberto got that much swag because we never see him do it and he pulls out the most ridiculous skills and you can see everyone surrounding where all the kids are going whoa like he's got every single skill in his locker and never does it on the pitch and he's just there calm as you like just like killing people yeah you only do what you need to do man I love Gilberto another Shout question out. from our good friend Justin Salhani from hey, Gorilla Justin, FC Gorilla FC <laughs> they've got a new line out they've yeah got it's new- really good oh my well. goodness yeah yeah go check that Hey, Justin, my address is redacted. Sorry. Uh, all of Justin's questions are all very aesthetic focused. A mm. couple of weeks into all of the top leagues seasons now, which teams look to be the most exciting viewing? Napoli. Oh, we didn't even really talk about this on the podcast on Monday. Napoli are beautiful. Oh, they, they were just so unlucky against Juve. Yeah, they're beautiful though, aren't they? They are beautiful. Coming back from 3-0 down. Yeah. And but then a really unfortunate own goal from Well, they have the moral victory. And we, they have the aesthetic victory. Shout out to Napoli. Um, in Germany? Who we put in Germany? I like Leverkusen. Oh, Kai Havertz has been great. Hey, there is a beautiful player. When Bosch ball goes fully Bosch. Yeah. Leverkusen. Let's give Leverkusen that. That's nice. I like that, actually. Yeah. Who's been beautiful in the Premier League? I mean, actually, City, I mean... They are the money bags and the many issues, but they are it's a bit glorious. Sometimes credit credit for aesthetics. If we're talking aesthetics and a team that looks gorgeous in full flow, it is City for me. It is. They just look unbelievable. It's, you can't get into it. But I mean, exciting viewing though. But he said exciting. Yeah. Okay. Which teams look to be the most exciting viewing? Okay. Look, I think Leverkusen and Napoli then are fair. Premier League, exciting. Villarreal. Hey, Villarreal had a 4-all already and a 2-2. Yeah, Villarreal are always good though. Can we give They're them always a, fun to watch. Can we give them I a think. shout? Cool. Yeah. Can we give them a shout yeah, over? Course, you don't have to ask my permission. Sorry, I'm just, you know, it's a two-man show. I love how the dynamic comes out. Like my sort of deference towards you, my respect for you is clear through the podcast. Behave. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> keep that in. No, um, yeah, so Villarreal, Leverkusen. I'd shout Athletic as well because I really enjoy watching Athletic games. There's something, there's this really fun balance of a little bit of shithousery but pure like explosiveness as well yeah 
And when they really get going, they get going. And I love Ianiaki Williams so much. Chat for Norwich as well. I see. Yeah. Hey, they've they've put some nice stuff together already. Yeah. Fark is doing a great job down there. He is doing a great see, job. See, I think I find those kind of teams more exciting at the moment because it's n- not so predetermined. You know? Do you not love that? I love how they're solving problems in real time, like tactically yeah. they're adjusting. Man City is like, when you see those like huge, huge domino constructions and they're really impressive, but yeah. all it really, it's all inevitable because yes. it's all pre-planned. Yes, exactly. So as long as you flick the first domino, Brilliant. The rest of it will come. And it's, yeah, it's great to watch. And it's, but you know, it's happening. Love it. No, 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 I love that. I love what you've done there. Whereas the other stuff, it's a little bit more like, maybe like a pinball machine. I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Your analogies are like next level. Thanks, man. I've been working hard. You've in evolved. The off season. What I is it? Like? An extensive training camp. Brain food, protein. What is it? What's the diet? Just, um, I don't know. So low carbs, high fat. What's that? That's the new diet that everyone's doing. Terror fear. Terror fear. <laughs> 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 Misery. Oh, 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 hey, they say you're most creative when you're at your worst, right? You talk about peering into the abyss. <laughs> the my, my play chamber. out the side with a Garfunkel. <laughs> Hello, darkness. <laughs> um, let's have one more question. Yeah, let's go for it. I found this quite interesting. This one's from Mr. WP on Twitter. From a German tinted sense, how is the Premier League perceived in Germany? Best in the world or just a good league that can pay a load of money? This is really funny. Like, I find this a, quite an interesting question. Because actually. actually the Germans are not as inquisitive about the Premier League as people might think. No. Nope. I don't hear people talk about, put it this way, I hear people talk about the Premier League as much as I hear them talk about Brexit. It's not a thing for them. Like the only time I've really heard English football discussed, specifically English football discussed in the last couple of weeks, is the fear of German clubs that a transfer target they want will be attracted by an English club. That's only really the context, the economic context. But German football culture and fan culture is so rich that people are not, not too bothered, in my opinion. That's how, that's, that's how I see it. There's been times when we've gone to try and watch certain games out somewhere, yeah. and they would have, even if it was a really, really big Premier League game, the Bundesliga game always takes priority. Or, or a German Cup game. You'll, yeah. you'll go out trying to find, like, and be like, oh. Oh, that was that midweek Premier League <laughs> game. We were trying to watch Man United, and this bar that we went to had... Augsburg, Leipzig, yeah, in the Brook right. And we walked around for half an hour trying to find <laughs> yeah. United Cho- uh, United. We could have just it was, watched it Wolves. United Wolves, was it? I, I think. think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't find it anywhere. No. And yeah. actually, I think that's a good example, is that a bar would choose to show Augsburg, Leipzig in the Pokal than a Manchester United game. And you know what? I kind of loved that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's too much Premier League. I agree. It's too much. It's everywhere. Hashtag best league in the world and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? exactly. Like, well, but what, what a great it? question that was. I love that. Yeah, this. I like that. And before we go, shout outs? Because we didn't do them on Monday? Hey, shout out to Ansu Fati at Barcelona scoring at 16. Oh. I mean, you just have, for me, I have to shout. I, mean, I meant to shout him out last time, but I just want to shout him out this time because there'll be so much expectation of him. But I just think it's really lovely to see a player like that breaking through. You consider all the pressure that it is to break through at a club like Barcelona. And to do that at 16 is so special. And I think sometimes we don't celebrate youth enough coming through because it's so difficult. I mean, what Joao Felix is doing at Atleti is extraordinary. It's reminiscent of the young Del Piero, but hopefully Ansu Fati just continues to develop from here and becomes, I'm not going to name any names, but becomes a great player instead of a kind of a Bojan who arrives and then departs. So best of luck to him. Are you talking about Lionel Messi? I'm not talking about Lionel Messi, actually. (laughs) 
Are you talking about Iniesta again? No, I'm not talking Iniesta. <laughs> I'm not. I'm getting, that's all I got. Uh, I've got two shout outs. One's a really sad one, but I want to shout out Luis Enrique and his family for the awful, awful, awful news about his daughter that they lost last week. It's so, so sad. Sorry to kind of take this in the somber direction, but as no, someone it's a great, who it's a great yeah. is very close to some people who have had a similar situation before, I'm all too well aware of the effects of how losing a child that young can have on a family. And I just think it's so heartbreaking and yeah, nothing but love and thoughts. In a more positive note, I want to shout out Lucy Bronze. Hey, yeah, came up big. Because she came up big. I mean, two defenders winning those best player in Europe awards this year with Lucy Bronze and Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> That's do you know I'm laughing? It's such an attacking era. Do you know well, I'm laughing about this? This is, a, this is a bit of a sort of. So I was describing, and I, I met, I had the fortune of bumping into um, Alexandra Pop, um, Germany's uh, captain and uh, superb player for Wolfsburg, and a discussion about Wolfsburg's elimination for Champions League. And I said, "Yeah, the thing about Leon is that." That right flank is just an absolute hammer. Alexander Pop had been playing down the left to help out. So I was like, oh my God, I was basically describing, I was basically asking her to reenact the trauma of that evening when Lucy Bruns just basically shut down the right flank mm. for Leon. But she's extraordinary. Her form, if we look at Lucy Bruns's form, I mean, it's, it's very rare to see a run like that. Like to be that, to excel like that for club and then to go into an international tournament and to maintain the level. I mean, one of the most impressive performances I saw last season in person was Lucy Bronze second half Champions League final. Right. She was on the same side that I was sat and just, just mind blowing. Different level because she gives you, Lucy Bronze gives you, um, I call it progressive dominance. So you have a right back that controls the space, right? They, they just basically cover their, the clear lines and that that's maybe 30% of top right backs will just, be incredible defenders. Then you have those who push to the halfway line and they, they give the, the winger an extra 20 yards to play with. They allow the winger to lose possession once, twice, experiment. Then you have the exceptional fullbacks, the Lucy Bronze, who basically you can almost shut down the entire right flank yeah. and, and allow the inside forwards to really operate close together. Yeah, I mean, there were times where she had that entire channel to herself and the, the, the athleticism was just like... She's on a different level. On another yeah, level. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 props to Lucy Bronze. Incredible. Much deserved. Great show. Um, so I think that's everything. We might be on the road next week, so we might do a... Should we go full lads Spanish on, football Lads on tour, and, lads on tour. And, uh, record it in a cafe. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm tempted to. Yeah, because I'll be abroad uh, next week. Well, we might both be in the UK, right? That's right, that's right. So we might do it before we go, or we might... Well, it's, there's a lot coming up this weekend. Uh, Women's Super League is back. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, but I think maybe we'll save it for next week because of the scheduling issue is just... There's more friendlies this week in the run-up to the first league game this season, which is just frankly bizarre to me. But um, there's a really good piece. I think Susan Rack wrote about it for The Guardian. Susie Rack. Um, yeah, go check that out. But yeah, so we might be on the road. Maybe we'll just like do it on our phone, like walking down the street. So casual, exactly. <laughs> Art house. <laughs> Bad reception, everything. Pirate radio style. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Put some sound effects in. But yeah, for now. Don't forget to check at Stadio on Twitter, at Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football is the website. Um, if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. It really, really helps us out. And see you next week. Catch you soon. Uh, we're going to play it on our theme tune this time. You don't get two tunes in a week. <laughs> you 
you lot. Exactly. You lot out there listening. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week. See you later. Catch you. Bit.